Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, September 30th, we are studying Ezekiel chapter 13, verses 1 to 23. The Lord condemns the false prophets who speak lies in his name. They cry out, peace, peace. But there is no peace, neither for the people of Judah in their idolatry, nor for these false prophets in their delusions. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor David Appold. Pastor Appold serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky. Pastor Appold, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks, Tim. Good to be on with you again. So we're studying Ezekiel this morning, Pastor Appold. Give us some context. What do we know about his ministry? What's he been saying up to this point that will help us with chapter 13 today? Yeah, Ezekiel, the first, it uh, it kind of fits in a fairly simple outline. Um, Ezekiel, pretty much the whole first part of his book is about how bad things are in Jerusalem. And uh, much like Jeremiah, if you had uh, listeners who uh, have been listening through the book of Jeremiah, he is prophesying at the same time as Jeremiah. And so we're at the end of um, the, well, we're, we're at the at the beginning of the Babylonian captivity, and Ezekiel's ministry kind of um, has a foot in both worlds, the pre-captivity world when Babylon is right on the doorstep, and, the, and even as the people go away from Judah into Babylon. So his ministry, his preaching is pretty um, harsh. He's saying, look, here's the problems, here's the idolatry, here's the faithlessness, the wickedness that's been going on in Jerusalem among God's people, and the punishment is coming. And there's no, he basically is tasked with saying, there's no way to avoid it. You have to go through it. Yeah, and that we've heard him say that at length so far. We're in that section, as you said, the outline's pretty simple, and he's in the, quote, law section of his ministry yeah. at this point. That's right. Yeah. His call is uh, is pretty uh, memorable when for a, for a number of reasons, but one of the things that God says to him is that he's going to give him a a forehead as hard as um, adamant, like an adamantine forehead. He's going to have a forehead harder than the people who he's speaking to. So you get this, you get the idea right away in Ezekiel that his ministry is just going to be clash, this clashing. Today's text deals with the matter of false prophets, which came up a little bit at the end of chapter 12, where the Lord was reminding the people that you think these things are going to take a long time to happen, but they're coming right away. And today we we deal a little bit more with that topic of false prophecy. So maybe a slightly different focus than some of the—there's going to be obviously talk of judgment and condemnation, but directed more at those false prophets. Just as as we think about this topic, which we certainly talked about in the book of Jeremiah, I'm not sure if you were on with one of those sections with me. Maybe you were. This is a topic that does come up often. Just give us an introduction to false prophets and kind of give us a flavor for what we're going to encounter in Ezekiel today. Sure. I mean, there's when you hear false prophets, there's there's many kinds of falsehood. There's many kinds of false prophets. So it's not a uh, it's not there's no cookie cutter approach to it. Um, I think what I normally think of right away with false prophets would be um, prophets who speak in the name or teachers, we might say instead of prophets, who speak in the name of some other god. So the prophets of Baal or the prophets of Molech, the prophets of these other so-called um, divinities in the Old Testament world. Um, but that's not what that's not the only kind of false prophet you could have. You can also have uh, a false prophet who, um, pretends or who even believes himself that he is speaking in the name of the true God, in the name of the Lord. Uh, but he is saying false things in the, in the name of the true God. And, you know, which one is worse? Well, um, I don't know. It's, that's like saying, uh, what would you, which kind of punish, did you ever play the game when you were a kid? Um, would you rather, would you rather right. die this way or that way? Right. You know, they're both bad, but um, there is something probably uh, more 
blasphemous about saying, well, I'm speaking in the name of the Lord and then speaking falsely, right? This is what the second commandment um, is, or at least in part, this is what the second commandment is about. So in, in Ezekiel 13, it's really that kind of prophet, that kind of false prophet that we're, we're talking about. These are not um, guys who are saying, hey, we should all worship Baal or we should sacrifice to Molech. There's those people around. Um, but these are guys who are saying, and it actually, um, you know, it sounds appealing. Hey, the punishment, the judgment isn't going to last that long. It's going to be okay. Um, got all this Babylonian conflict, it's going to resolve itself pretty quickly, and God wouldn't make us go into exile. You know, it's not as bad as Ezekiel is saying it's going to be. So let's let's take a, a look at the text and see how this plays out in Ezekiel 13, knowing that we're dealing with prophets who are speaking in the name of the Lord, but a different message than Ezekiel is bearing. We read the text. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying, and say to those who prophesy from their own hearts, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit, and have seen nothing. Your prophets have been like jackals among ruins, O Israel. You have not gone up into the breaches, or built up a wall for the house of Israel, that it might stand in battle in the day of the Lord. They have seen false visions and lying divinations. They say, declares the Lord, when the Lord has not sent them, and yet they expect him to fulfill their word. Have you not seen a false vision and uttered a lying divination whenever you have spoken, declares the Lord, although I have not spoken? Therefore thus says the Lord God, because you have uttered falsehood and seen lying visions, therefore behold, I am against you, declares the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord God, precisely because they have misled my people, saying, Peace, when there is no peace, and because, when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash, say to those who smear it with whitewash, that it shall fall. There will be a deluge of rain, and you, O great hailstones, will fall, and a stormy wind break out. And when the wall falls, will it not be said to you, Where is the coating with which you smeared it? Therefore thus says the Lord God, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath, and there shall be a deluge of rain in my anger, and great hailstones in wrath to make a full end. And I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash, and bring it down to the ground, so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you shall perish in the midst of it, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Thus will I spend my wrath upon the wall, and upon those who have smeared it with whitewash. And I will say to you, The wall is no more, nor those who smeared it, the prophets of Israel who prophesied concerning Jerusalem, and saw visions of peace for her, when there was no peace, declares the Lord God. I take us through verse 16 of the text. I think I'll pause there. There's a bit of a break as, as now after that, Ezekiel is going to speak about some daughters of the people who are also prophesying falsely. So mm-hmm. pa- Pastor Apple, in that, in that first section, there's plenty to talk about. Just these, these prophets of Israel that Ezekiel mentions, who are they? Where'd they come from? Do they have any kind of pedigree? What do we know about these folks? Yeah, that we don't know. He doesn't name them. Um, in the book of Jeremiah, we can we can talk a little bit more about that. You have this kind of prime example of Jeremiah naming a false prophet, and I, I believe his name is Hananiah in uh, Jeremiah chapter 28. Um, so these are, these are other prophets like Hananiah, and um, you have a few references in the historical books of the Old Testament, Second Kings. Um, I know there's a number of references to this kind of a school of the prophets. They're called the Sons of the Prophets. And one way to maybe think of that is some kind of um, disciples of the prophets like Elijah or like Elisha. Um, And so perhaps these are guys who have been taught by other prophets. Maybe even they followed Jeremiah around. Maybe they followed Ezekiel for a while and have kind of broken away or split off. Um, But that it could also just be anyone 
who sort of says, hey, I have a vision, I've seen something, and I need to, um, you know, I need to speak, and who then gains some kind of, a, of an audience. Um, there was no official, like, um, you know, route to ordination for prophets in the Old Testament. It was the Lord, uh, in his freedom, he could call a man, and he would ordain them himself. Um, so it, it the, the role of a prophet is not quite like a priest. There's no set pattern for it. Um, and so, therefore, you could have anyone could claim to be a prophet. And so that's what seems to be happening here. You've got these who are—and and the Lord makes pretty plain what's going on. It's in verse 2. They are prophesying from their own heart, but they're saying, Hear the word of the Lord— which puts them into that, as you said this earlier, that second category of, of false prophet. Not those who are prophesying in the name of a, an idol, like Baal or, or Molech or some other idol, but these are actually claiming to have a word from Yahweh, from the Lord. What, what is the message that they're proclaiming among the exiles? Yeah, they're, well, uh, Ezekiel um, puts it nicely. They're saying peace when there is no peace. So um, remembering the context of Ezekiel, He's prophesying, and we're not exactly sure, like, it doesn't tell us this happened in this month or that month, but you do have a couple of time references in Ezekiel's um, writing. So it's likely, I think, here that they're not in exile yet. The exile is coming, um, and the year for that was 587, is the year when Nebuchadnezzar, you know, kind of came in with the full army and wiped out Jerusalem, burned down the temple. I think we're still pre-total exile, right. but um, the way that Nebuchadnezzar um, exiled Jerusalem was not just overnight, right? There was a siege around the city, and so I think it's likely that we're sort of in that time frame. If they're not under siege right now, the siege is everyone can see that it's coming, and um, what these false prophets are essentially saying might be something like, hey, you know what? The Lord delivered us in the past— He'll do it again right now. And, uh, you know, remember back in the day when the Assyrians came down after they'd wiped out the northern kingdom in the days of King Hezekiah, the angel of the Lord delivered us. He's going to do it again. And uh, you can you can imagine why that would be a um, an appealing message, because it is this. It does have some kind of appeal to truth, right? God has always been the one who saves his people. Um, but but now he's saying through his official prophets, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, that the judgment is coming. Well, and, and for Ezekiel, who, who has been taken into exile already in one of those earlier exiles, and he's there in Babylon, speaking to those in exile— who are there again already, the full, the fullness, as you said, has not happened yet, but it is, it is striking. I mean, think for them, that message that, Hey, this exile is not going to last very long. You're going to get to go back home soon. Like that, that's a pretty appealing message. And when you put that side by side with Ezekiel, who has done some pretty strange things in his ministry already, again, assuming that this happens after them, I, I think you can understand the appeal of these false prophets. And, and this is something that, really hasn't changed. This is something that that is constant throughout the, the history of the church, that the word of the Lord doesn't always sound appealing to people. A false prophecy does, and there's this constant struggle between the truth and the lie that we still deal with today. Yeah, that's a good way to frame it. The, the lie um, has to be, in some sense, it has to be appealing. Otherwise, people wouldn't, um, you know, would never or buy into, well, I mean, we shouldn't underestimate um, you know, the effect of sin, but um, you can go all the way back to the devil in the, in the garden, right? So he appeals to Eve with this um, sweet kind of message, right? No, that, that apple or whatever kind of fruit it was is actually going to make you wise, and it's actually going to make you like God, so that you should eat it. Um, there's, a soft, there's always a softness or there's, a, there's an appeal to these false teachings. And here the appeal is um, the judgment's not going to be that bad. Either it's not going to come or it's not going to last that long. You know, don't you don't have to worry about being in Babylon for 40 years. It's only going to be, you know, six months. It's only going to be another year and then we'll get to go home. 
the, the, uh, that word softness, I think, is an interesting way of phrasing it. And I, I think you're right. There is a softness to the message. Although when you think about what the gospel is, the gospel is, I know soft isn't the right word, but the gospel is a complete freedom, a complete gift of grace, which is where this false message has a, I think, I can't remember how you said it, but you, you said it well, that you know, there's a certain appeal to it because it sounds like something that God says, but it doesn't give you the full counsel of God yeah. like Ezekiel will. <laughs> it's it's gospel-y without being the gospel, yeah. right? It's, it's, um, it's gospel-esque, gospel-ish, but it's not actually the gospel. And uh, because what they're doing is there, and again, is this is a good example of what makes a true prophet is first, there has to be some vision from the Lord, right? This is not that no prophet ever speaks from his own heart. Um, second, the Lord has to send the prophet. So this is why in all in Isaiah is pretty memorable. You know, he sees the the throne room of the Lord, and he hears the angels, holy, holy, holy. Jeremiah has the same thing, and Ezekiel's um, is probably the longest description of that vision at the beginning of his book. Um, so the true prophet has a real revelation from God and is sent by the Lord. The false prophet claims to have that, but in reality doesn't. And this, you know, how do you determine which is true and which is false? Well, um, in some in some ways, you're not really able to until what they say either comes to pass or doesn't. And that goes all the way back. And there's a couple of passages in Deuteronomy that talk this way. You know, if a false prophet um, says, you know, I have a, a dream and here's the dream and you say to yourself, well, how do we know this might be from the Lord? Because the, the prophet, the prophets are open to there is an openness to it. God could raise up anyone. Um, so the the way to test the prophets is to wait and see if what they say comes to pass. Um, and then the the threat was the the death penalty, right? If uh, if a false prophet is shown to be a false prophet, he'll be put to death. And so there would be a some kind of a curb there, um, some kind of a threat. So that, you know, you or I wouldn't just say, hey, you know what? It would be kind of fun. It's a Tuesday afternoon. I got nothing else to do. Let's go see if we can trick people. You know, well, you're taking your life in your hands. It's interesting when it comes to false prophets and, and true prophets. And I think it's it's in that encounter that Jeremiah has with the prophet Hananiah that you brought up earlier. You know, Hananiah comes along and, and wants to preach that it's this exile is only going to last two years. He's going to bring... The Lord's going to bring the people back after two years. And, and Jeremiah responds, basically saying, hey, that sounds great, Hananiah. I, I hope the Lord does it. But then Jeremiah, he, he brings up this interesting point about false prophets and true prophets, which I, it certainly relates to what you were saying. He says, this is Jeremiah 28, uh, verses 8 and 9, The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace— when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. It's it's striking that as Jeremiah lays it out, and he does use that same category that you you know is does it come to pass or not? But he he recognizes that generally speaking, the f- false prophets were the ones that were prophesying peace. The true prophets are the ones who are proclaiming yeah. the judgment and disaster that's coming. Yeah, it's uh, go back to what we were saying before about these false prophets are gospel-y preachers. They're gospel-ish or esque. Um, the The gospel is not just a, a good feeling message or a nice sounding message. It has to have God's authority, otherwise, it's not truly the good news, right? Um, so you can you can say, well, the gospel, um, you know, is the the message of the forgiveness of sins. Um, but if it's not in the name of Christ Jesus, um, um, that's not really the true gospel. Um, and I think that there is a, a need for that. When we talk about the gospel, we don't just mean nice, good news, a nice message. Um, it has to have God's authority. We have to be able to say, thus says the Lord, um, or all of our nice words, all of our um, things that make people feel good might just be a false comfort, right? An empty, a hollowed out message. So do you have to have, I'm going to ask it like this, do you have to have the law in order to have the, do you have to have the true law in order to have the true gospel? 
Yeah, certainly, right? If you're, if you're going to be um, saved from something, that, then that something that you're saved from has to be real, right? So if there is, uh, you know, you, we could put this in um, kind of the ultimate terms, if there is no hell, um, then the message of salvation in Christ Jesus and the hope of heaven, well, it kind of loses its, um, it, it loses its real sweetness. It loses that the power of salvation. It just becomes, well, we're all going to end up there anyways. So I guess it doesn't really matter. So the, the, these false prophets are trying to preach a gospel without a law, it seems, or maybe they're trying to preach faith, comfort, without any real repentance. That that certainly seems to be yeah. missing. It's just, hey, peace, peace, everything's going to be fine, and they're not dealing with the actual idolatry, the sin that's running rampant in Judah and Jerusalem at this point. I think that's a good way to frame it, faith without repentance, um, because or, or faith with kind of, a, you know, a bit of remorse, but not, um, what, repentance down to the roots, right? So, um, you know, that's where you get this business about they're, they're whitewashing a wall, right? They're putting this whitewash on the wall, and they're saying that's going to make the wall strong. Our message is going to make this wall strong. This is what the people need to hear. And, you know, God, what God says through Ezekiel here is that's you're painting a wall thinking that that will stop the hailstones from knocking it over. You know, that's, that's ridiculous, right? You're trying to shore up people's faith when it can't, your message isn't ultimately what they need to hear. It's not the brick and mortar kind of mess preaching that people need. It's just paint on the surface. What strikes me about the image of the, the wall being whitewashed, let's see if I can find the, the verse. I think it's in, yeah, it's verse 10. They're saying, you know, peace when there is no peace. And then the Lord says to Ezekiel, when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash. So it, it's it's as if the the people are the ones saying, hey, preacher, we want to hear you preach this. And the preacher comes along and says, okay, I'll preach that and let me dress it up as, as well as I can. Almost almost like what Aaron does at Mount Sinai, where they're, you know, Moses has been up on the mountain for a while and, and they're getting anxious down at the base. And so Aaron, you know, dresses up this golden calf, that, like make us gods, Aaron. So Aaron does. It sounds kind of like what's going on here, that the, the preacher just gives the people what they tell him he wants and he tries to dress it up and make it sound as good as he can or as pious or religious as he can. Yeah, I think so. I mean, this think about what the exile is supposed to do for the people, for the, the faithful remnant. It is supposed to be a harsh discipline that leads them to um, what I'm calling this full root repentance, down to the core, down to their bones. And so the people, you know, in the and, you know, is he speaking metaphorically here or were they really building some kind of wall is an interesting question. And then the, the prophets come along and do some kind of ceremonial whitewashing. Um, but I think that the deeper issue is um, the people are being taught through this exile, through this very harsh discipline of God. They're being taught to repent and to that would be the building of the wall. But then these prophets come in and say, you know, you don't have to take it that seriously, right? You don't have to repent of everything. You can just, you know, it's not, it's only going to last a couple of years. That's this picture of someone who's whitewashing um, the the surface, who's treating things on the surface level, but not getting to the root of the issue. That is an interesting thought to, to think about the exiles perhaps building a wall there, maybe as some sort of protection among the Babylonians. We know that Ezekiel's living in a house, so they do have their own sort of community, you know, that's maybe they were building a wall. I wonder if, if the matter of whitewashing walls is also intended to evoke what's going to happen in Jerusalem, that the walls of Jerusalem yeah. will fall. Yeah, I think so, because you've got, um, what does the Lord do to that wall that's being built? Well, the wall that is being built and that's whitewashed, God knocks is going to knock it over with this storm, with this wind, um, with his wrath, which is what the Babylonians are the tool of, right? They are the instrument of God's wrath against um, his faithless people in Jerusalem. And so this message that is being preached to the people, it's not going to be that bad. It's going to be all right. You know, the Babylonians might threaten us, but they're not going to wipe us out. God says, y you'll see, right? It's going to, that's like trying to 
protect the city walls from hailstones with a coat of paint. Yeah, it's not going to work. The The way that the Lord describes the judgment that he will bring, he makes that very clear in verse 13, you know, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath. It strikes me, he, he talks about a deluge of rain evoking the flood. He talks about hailstones and wrath evoking the, the ten plagues, that the judgment that he's bringing down upon his own people is likened to some of the, the greatest judgments that the Old Testament has for us. Yeah, this, the exile, um, you know, if you're trying to, to think of major events in the history of the Old Testament, um, the exile is probably one that we, we, we don't get around to as much as I think we should, right? Because in some ways, we'd prefer um, the exodus, we'd prefer um, the establishment of the kingdom. Those ones are the positive, you know, quote-unquote positive stories, and the exile is, um, you know, quote-unquote negative. But that seriousness of sin and God's dealing with sin, that's part of the flood, that's part of Sodom and Gomorrah, that's part of, that really is um, the, the prominent um, message here of the exile. And what that points ahead to is the crucifixion of Jesus, right? Sin must be dealt with, not just on a surface level, but atonement must be made, right? There is um, God's justice um, has to be um, meted out, right? There has to be a payment for sin. Yeah, something more than whitewash is needed, if I can say it that way. The, yeah, the yeah. blood of Christ is needed to make you white, to make you clean from your sins. And and that's where Ezekiel is going to go in his preaching as the ministry continues. Right now he is preaching this judgment against these false prophets, and we're going to hear more of that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO, talking Ezekiel chapter 13 with Pastor David Appold. We will be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, September 30th. We are studying Ezekiel chapter 13, verses 1 to 23 with Pastor David Appold. He serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky. Pastor Apple, prior to the break, we we're talking about these false prophets that Ezekiel speaks against. And we've, we've talked about, you know, what's happening in Ezekiel's day. And we've said that this is something that the church always deals with, the truth versus the lie. Now, what kinds of false teaching do we see today? What kind of false teaching does the New Testament identify for us? Let's talk a little bit about how this comes home to us. Yeah, again, I think um, it's, it's helpful to... Um, to have in your mind when you hear false prophets to think, okay, not all false, they all have a common, um, something in common, there's a falsehood, but falsehood takes many forms. And so um, especially what Ezekiel is talking about would not be um, people who are, who are teachers of other faiths, right? So um, we're not talking about um, well, I mean, you could get into a whole discussion of whether Islam is a Christian heresy or not, but we're not talking about other um, Buddhist teachers, Hindu teachers, Muslim teachers. We're talking about those who are within the or or who um, you know set themselves up as Christian teachers. That would be the equivalent of uh, what Ezekiel's talking about. And you do have a few references to these kinds of things in the New Testament already in the time of the apostles, right? Um, certainly we see it in our own day and age, and it's a, a cause of distress for folks, right? How do I know who's true and who's false? We can talk about that a little bit. Um, but I think it is helpful right at the start just to remember um, this has always been part of the struggle for the church. Um, the church militant is always dealing with false teaching, even in the days of the apostles, when you, you would think, oh, everything was pristine then, right? Everything was perfect. Nobody was teaching falsely. Um, well, when you read the epistles, you find, you know, you find things differently. And even in the book of Acts, you find things differently. So what kinds of false teaching do we see identified within the New Testament in the book of Acts and the epistles? Some, what lines up with what Ezekiel says? What other flavors yeah. does this false teaching have? Yeah, there you go. The poison has many flavors, right? Um, <laughs> uh, I, I think probably the closest one is in Ephesians 5. St. Paul goes through um, this list. It's uh, what some people call one of his lists of the vices, 
right? And he says, those who practice such things, sexual immorality, um, fits of anger, drunkenness, things like that, um, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This is Ephesians 5, I think, verse 6. Then he goes on to say, do not be deceived that the, because the wrath of God is coming against such things, okay? So why would he say, do not be deceived? He says, don't be deceived because there are some who are saying the wrath of God won't come on these things, right? Um, and, you know, why would people say that? Well, it, it's easy to see because we see it in our own times um, that people would slip into, um, you know, what we call reductionism or um, that there is a licentiousness to the gospel. If God forgives our sins, then it doesn't really matter if we go on sinning, right? Um, in fact, maybe we could even, you know, if God is really good at forgiving sins, maybe we need to give him more sins to forgive. Or, um, you know, this takes another another direction too sometimes where people will say, well, you know, what used to be called sin is no longer sin. This gets into the whole um, uh, in our modern times, this is the the whole struggle against homosexual practices and um, and uh, things like abortion, where people want to say, you know, that's not it's not sinful, right? So it doesn't need to even be forgiven, and that that false teaching is a, that's a way of saying peace, peace when there is no peace. So what other types? Of, I mean, that, I think that's a pretty. St- striking parallel to Ezekiel's day. And it's, I think, as, as you pointed out, when it comes to certain moral issues of our day, homosexuality being one of the top ones, the practice of that, it's easy to see the parallels of, of where this is happening, peace, peace, where there is no peace. What other ways, and I, I think these other ways that you know are taught, they, they certainly relate to that, but how else does that maybe, I don't know, yeah, a flavor, or wh- what, where does it tangent off in other directions? Yeah, the, well, the examples from the New Testament, again, are, are helpful. You've got that kind of strain of false teaching that would um, essentially, I like the way that you framed it earlier, there's, there's going to be grace without repentance, or there, we're gonna ha- we can have faith without repentance. Um, you know, the, the message of the forgiveness of sins uh, has lost its savor because sin has been so watered down, right? You don't need to really repent of it. Um, in other places, the false teaching that comes up in the church is takes a different form. Um, the The epistle to the Galatians is really dealing with um, what comes up in the book of Acts as sort of the first kind of false teaching that's prevalent in the church, which is that the Gentiles need to become circumcised. And so um, this is a different kind of false teaching because it's not really saying peace, peace, where there is no peace. Um, but it's substituting a false kind of route of salvation, right? You can be saved by, or you need to be saved by Jesus plus these other things, right? You need the, you need to be circumcised. You need to follow the, um, the dietary laws of the Old Testament. It's a Jesus plus kind of a thing. So I think you used the word licentiousness earlier. You might also call the the thing that Ezekiel is dealing with that also something like antinomianism, no no law. That might be one of the larger terms. Whereas what you're describing, say in Galatians, that's what you would call legalism on the other end of the spectrum. Although I think they two the two end up coming together very often. But those are just some examples of the the false teaching. Now you you brought this question up earlier and. And it's something that we should come back to. How do we know, especially today, when, I mean, you know, in the Old Testament, you said we've got, if it happens, then you know you were dealing with a a true prophet. But what about today? How do you know? Yeah, when we're not talking uh, in in either of those things that I mentioned before, no one is um, saying on September 30th, this is going to happen, right? That's that's a uh, type of prophecy where you're predicting something in the future, and that's easily testable. Right? But when somebody says, thus says the Lord, that's also what was going on in Ezekiel's day and age. And even um, now in, uh, in churches throughout our country, people will say, this is what God says, or this is what God wants. Um, but if they don't have the word of the Lord backing it up, um, that's, that's really the test, I think, is, is that actually the teaching of Scripture? And that's, that can be a challenge for people because, um, you know, people can twist and distort 
the teaching of scripture um, in a lot of different ways, right? Um, so one maybe famous example of a distortion, Jesus sat with tax collectors and sinners, right? He didn't exclude them. Therefore, we should be open to everyone, right? Um, so it distorts the idea that Jesus sat and, and he was in company with these people as if Jesus didn't also tell them to repent, right? Um, you kind of just drop that out. Well, look, I'm appealing to scripture, okay? So it's important for uh, the church to have um, confessions and to have official teaching so that we can say, here is, here's what we hold our, our teachers, our pastors accountable to. Um, this is part of the reason why we in the Lutheran Church want all of our members to know the small catechism. It can be a kind of a grid or a kind of, um, you know, a, um, a, a nice, quick way to put on your glasses, so to speak, and, and kind of examine, is this teaching in accord with Scripture or not? Um, and you test it against what's taught in the small catechism, not as if the catechism is somehow higher than Scripture, but because it's a faithful exposition. I think the the example of the confessions it is a helpful reminder of what the true teachers, the true prophets of God's Word do. And we skipped over this earlier. I wanted to come back to it. It's in verse 5 of Ezekiel 13, where the Lord, speaking to these false prophets, says, You have not gone up into the breaches or built up a wall for the house of Israel, that it might stand in battle in the day of the Lord. The, the true prophet, when he sees false teaching attacking, or when he sees sin besetting the people, he does something about it. He speaks out as that faithful watchman that Ezekiel has been called to be. He, he puts down a, a confession of faith when he sees that false teaching coming. He, he writes that confession saying, no, this is what is true and not that. And these false prophets, and we're going to see this again in I think it's, yeah, it's later in this chapter. They're, they're just out serving themselves. They're the, the hired hands that Jesus talks about in John chapter 10, not the good shepherd, not the faithful one. And I think that's, you know, the confessions are, are one example of, of how a true pastor, you know, one, one who truly teaches God's word is going to stand up and try to protect the people. These false teachers, they're just in it for the, themselves. And when they don't get something, they run the other way. Yeah, the, the language there in, in verse 5, I think you're right to connect it back to um, it's chapter 3 in Ezekiel. He is called and set. The Lord says, I'm going to set you as a watchman. And so what Ezekiel is accusing the false teachers of doing is basically um, sleeping on the job or not even going up and looking out, right? You, don't, you, you have not seen what is really the danger here. And what Ezekiel's you know, you could say his whole ministry is trying to not just address the Babylonians are coming from the outside, but Ezekiel is saying the problem is within the gates already, right? The problem is in our own hearts. And unless we repent of those things, um, you know, whether it's the Babylonians coming in from the outside or, or the city of Jerusalem just rotting from the inside out, um, either way, it's destruction, and uh, it's, it does no good to say, hey, it's going to be all right. You haven't really fixed anything, right? Yeah, you haven't actually dealt with the problem. It, it strikes me that, that what we see from the false prophets here relates to some of the ways, I think it's St. Paul, maybe St. Peter, talks about false teaching in the New Testament, how false teachers are often in it for shameful gain. I think you see something similar here. And then Jesus as well, when he talks about the hired hand just running away when he sees the wolf coming— is that, I think we have to be careful with this, but, but the evidence is there both in the Old and the New Testament. Is that also a sign that we're dealing with a, a false teacher when we see them acting out of shameful gain? I mean, I think we got to be careful when it comes to ascribing motives to other people. But uh, what do you think? Well, if, if, uh, if you think of some of the passages that talk about... Um, you know, St. Paul, I think when he's, he's writing to Timothy, he says things like, um, the people have itching ears and they will look for someone to scratch their itching ears. Um, and one of the, um, I don't know, one of the diagnostic tools is if, if somebody's in it for um, wealth, they're going to always need, there's going to be this pressure on them um, to say the kinds of things that will bring in more money. Right. If if you're out to get money, um, it's not going to you, you're not going to get it 
by and large, right? Generally speaking, you're not going to get it by telling people to repent of their sins. You're going to get it by saying, hey, it's all, you're doing all the right stuff. It's all going really well. Um, people like that. They like to be made a lot of, um, and especially from someone who's in a position of authority that feels good, right? So I think that is a, um, that is a mark of false teaching. It's not the only thing because um, it is true also that faithfulness does lead to, um, sometimes, uh, God blesses faithfulness and in monetary, monetary ways, right? That's not always a bad thing. Right, right. And, and here it's maybe not so much the, the shameful gain, but the fact that they just forsake the people at their moment of need. That's what these, these false prophets are doing. It, uh, I can't remember which, I think it, it might have been Jeremiah, you know, that you didn't, you didn't diagnose the, the need of my people so that they could be healed. And that's where, you know, it isn't pleasant to preach, there is no peace. But without that preaching, there can't be any true healing. And if, if that's all you preach is peace, peace, when it's not really there, then you're just leaving the people to fend for themselves. And and what's, I guess, you know, scary is that you're leaving them to fend for themselves, not just against the Babylonians, but you're leaving them to fend for themselves against the Lord's wrath. And the only place you can find yeah. refuge there is actually in the Lord himself, but he hasn't actually been preached. And that's just this utter danger of false teaching. Yeah, this is why the second commandment is, uh, this is why it's so serious, right? If you, um, if you pollute God's name, if you ascribe, um, you know, this is, this has God's backing when it doesn't, um, then it confuses people. It, they put their faith, their trust in the wrong thing. And then I think you're absolutely right. The danger is not just the Babylonians, but the Lord who sends the Babylonians because of the people's unfaithfulness. They need that call to repentance. Right. And that that goes back to the watchman in Ezekiel 3, that, you know, you've got to tell them that danger is coming, because if you don't, they're still going to die. And that's, but it's going to be on your head, Ezekiel. And that's where, I mean, the watchman is so necessary, because one way or the other, the Lord's wrath is coming, he wants the message proclaimed ahead of time so that he would then be merciful at the repentance and the faith that, that's brought about by the preaching. Yeah. yeah. We have to be careful not to be more merciful than God, yeah. right? That's a, that's a good way to—I think that's a memorable way to, to put it. I'm not—I I didn't come up with that. Many people have said that before me, um, and that seems to be what these false prophets were doing then. That is also what often kind of passes for Christian teaching now is we're going to proclaim a God more loving than Jesus really was, uh, more loving than the Heavenly Father has revealed himself to be. And what happens then is that you lead people, um, you lead people into a false comfort, a false security, and so it, it's actually no love, it's no mercy at all. And that's what these false prophets were doing in Ezekiel's day, and he addresses another form of false teaching or a related form of false teaching. As our text continues, we left off and we're picking up again in verse 17 now. And you, son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy out of their own minds. Prophesy against them and say, thus says the Lord God, woe to the women who sew magic bands upon all wrists and make veils for the heads of persons of every stature in the hunt for souls. Will you hunt down souls belonging to my people and keep your own souls alive? You have profaned me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread, putting to death souls who should not die and keeping alive souls who should not live by your lying to my people who listen to lies. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against your magic bands with which you hunt the souls like birds. And I will tear them from your arms, and I will let the souls whom you hunt go free, the souls like birds. Your veils also I will tear off and deliver my people out of your hand, and they shall be no more in your hand as prey, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Because you have disheartened the righteous falsely, although I have not grieved him, and you have encouraged the wicked that he should not turn from his evil way to save his life. Therefore you shall no more see false visions nor practice divination, I will deliver my people out of your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. That's the rest of our text for today. That was Ezekiel 13, verses 17 to 23. So, Pastor Apple, this is a, 
a bit unique here in the book of Ezekiel, not something that we've encountered so far. There are these women who are sewing magic bands and making veils, and Ezekiel is to preach against them. What's what's going on here? Yeah, the uh, when you hear magic bands and magic veils, I think if you're like me, you think this is, again, maybe they're they're Baal worshipers or Asherah worshipers, um, and that could be, but it also could just be that they're um, they're doing something like the whitewashing of a wall, and what they're doing is they're saying, "Hey, if you wear this, you'll be protected," right? And so they're substituting the wearing of a um, a, a bracelet or the wearing of a veil over the head or on the wrist in pl- what what are they doing? They're putting that in place of the repentance of the heart. So think of a prophet like Joel, um, don't just rend your garments, but rend your hearts. Um, these women are saying, don't worry about rending your hearts, just put this on. And uh, if you buy this, for, and again, you can see the connection with, um, there's a there's a gain in it for, for the ones who are selling these things. Um, they're gaining bread, they're gaining their money, but they're gaining money by this. And what they're doing to the people who believe it who go in for the lie is they are, um, they're essentially killing them, right? Ezekiel compares them to being like hunters who are trapping birds, right? You're trapping these people with these magical, um, bracelets. The, the mention of the, the food there is quite striking given what we know about not only what it was like to live in exile, but also what happens in Jerusalem during the famine that happens there during the siege that, I mean, these, these women then are, using any means necessary, even profaning the name of the Lord, in order to survive. And the Lord says, no, I'm going to hold you. I mean, it, it, it reveals, I think, the utter wickedness of what's going on, that they're willing to, you know, sell a magic band, this is going to keep you safe, to take bread, potentially from someone who actually is a, a true believer. It's, it's a rather, I mean, it's an utterly wicked thing that's going on. Yeah, I think it speaks to the something of the desperation that's that's going on in Jerusalem when the city is about to go into exile. There is this desperation. You know, you, you wonder why would people go in for the magic bracelets? Why would they go in for the magic veils? Um, but you do see this throughout history when there is desperate times. People will look for refuge They'll, they'll, they'll search for it in all kinds of different things that we, w- we would maybe look at and say, that was really silly, right? Why would you go in for something so superstitious? Um, well, they, they were looking for any kind of comfort. And here were these women who were willing to say, hey, this bracelet will help you. Um, this veil will help you. And people said, okay, here, take some of my bread, right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's very striking. The other thing that that stands out to me in this part of the text, we've talked a lot about in verse, let's see, verse 22. Ezekiel says, "You have disheartened the righteous falsely, although I have not grieved him, and you have encouraged the wicked that he should not turn from his evil way to save life." You've got a, a dual purpose or a dual a danger, I should say to false yeah. teaching there. We've talked a lot about the second, I think, you know, the encouraging of the wicked so that he doesn't turn from his evil way and live. But we haven't talked as much about the first, the disheartening of the righteous falsely, although I have not grieved him. Can you dig into that danger of false teaching a little bit more for us? Yeah, well, this would be much more like the um, the requirement of circumcision or following the dietary laws, right? You're, you're putting a weight on people that God hasn't put on them. You're, so um, these magicians, these women who are, you know, promoting this magical thinking about God are saying, you know, repentance, let's, let's kind of put some words in their mouth. Um, repentance is good and well, but what you really need is this bracelet. And what you really need is to wear the veil. And if you don't do that, then you are unrighteous. So they're adding things that God has not added. They're requiring things that God has not required. Um, And conversely, they are skipping out on the real preaching of repentance that people need to hear, and because they're substituting these magical things. Mm. Well, and I think that really, saying it that way, I like the way you put it into their, their mouths, that that really connects these two false teachings into this one sort of preaching, that that when that false preaching comes, 
to the righteous, it it adds something. They were thinking, oh, I'm I'm saved by grace through faith, but you're telling me I have to do this. That that's the the adding, you know, whatever the dietary laws are being circumcised. And then to the to the unrighteous, they're saying, oh, I thought I had to repent, and I, now I can just do this and live however I want. You see how the two teachings really come from, I mean, it's one and the same, just it's almost like if you think of it instead of a, a spectrum with left to right, maybe if you think about it as a circle, those two actually meet into the same thing. It's it's just two sides of the same coin. That's the phrase I'm looking for. There you go. Yeah, it's a, it's a false comfort either, either way. You're either um, comforting people um, who should be repenting, or you're saying, don't get the real comfort um, in, that comes in repentance. And that, again, this is, this is part of... Um, this is part of the preaching of the church, not just at the time of the exile, um, but we do, the church is called to preach and to tell people, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Um, and think of St. Peter on the day of Pentecost, save yourself from this crooked generation, um, that, that the life of a Christian is one of ongoing repentance and faith in Christ Jesus. And so we never want to say, well, you know, repentance was important in the year 587 BC, but you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal now. Right, right. Pastor Appled, we have about three minutes left. The, the chapter Ezekiel 13 seems like a lot of judgment, condemnation. Where, where do we connect this chapter to our Savior Jesus Christ? Help us to wrap things up this morning. Well, I think the the contention of the of the truth with the lie, um, lies need to be silenced, and that's what. That's what the message of hope is here, that God is sending Ezekiel to combat the lie, and that means that the Lord is combating the lie, um, and so it's not a pleasant picture for those who are promoting falsehood. But for those who are you know, on the receiving end, for those who are maybe throwing their hands up in the air and saying, should we listen to Ezekiel or should we listen to these other guys? Should I you know, make sure I stop in and get a bracelet for my family today? Um, it actually is a, a source of comfort that God doesn't just tolerate lies forever, that he does, he is jealous for his name, he's jealous for his people, and he's going to act in a way that they will know the truth, um, right? This is the great phrase that so often comes up in the book of Ezekiel, then they will know that I am the Lord. You won't have false teachings, you won't have the dreams of the hearts of um, these liars, you'll have the truth. Yeah, and to have the truth is to have salvation, the fullness of the preaching of repentance for your sins, and then the salvation that is freely given in the Savior, Jesus Christ. Pastor David Appold is pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky, helping us today with Ezekiel 13, verses 1 to 23. Pastor Appold, thanks for being our guest today. Yeah, love being on with you, Tim. Take care. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Ezekiel, comments on the series, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the app. The open mic feature allows you to send up to a 60-second message to us. We love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.